0: Hi guys, this is Psych Teacher John. Uh, so today we're gonna to talk about the self and the components of the self, or really your self-concept. Uh, I'll use that interchangeably with self-image. So how you view yourself and how you come to form that image, okay? So one way you know, of dealing with the self or uh, forming an image of yourself comes from introspection, which is really just you look inside yourself. You look inside and you're like, okay, I felt this way, I thought about things this way. Like, you know, how you've come to know yourself and that gives you a sense of who you are. Okay? But another one that is surprising but at the same time not surprising is you form your self-image based on how others respond to you. Now you might think that's common sense, but some studies have shown that this is much more significant than people suspect. A famous study, of course, or a person that was involved in this is William Cooley, and I believe he coined the phrase looking-glass self. And this is back, I think, somewhere around like 1902. But William Cooley had this idea of this self where you view yourself through the lens of other people, or through society. So what's happening is, is that your self-image is formed in large part by how you think other people perceive you. So what does that mean? If uh, other people are always commenting, responding to you as if you're outgoing. Like, oh yeah, you should come to the party. You'll entertain everyone. Or, yeah, someone's gotta speak up about this. Uh, you're the one to do it. You're the one that's always not afraid to like put yourself forward. You know, people start talking to you and treating you like you're very outgoing or uh, you have no qualms about speaking your mind, et etc. Et so when they do this, uh, you come to believe it, right? So again, how others respond to you, what they expect of you, how they treat you, really does shape in large part how you view yourself. So one really sad example of this. So at the time, what was happening was is that you had this group of very talented, very capable African-Americans, but because the majority, or you would think would be the majority, was responding to them and treating them in a way that indicated they weren't as capable. They came to see themselves that way. Okay, so notice I said you would think it's the majority, but initially it started with the majority group. But because this looking glass effect was so strong, it pervaded the whole community's sense of itself. So you would have these studies where you had very talented individuals that were shaping very negative self-images, and some of it from the majority culture, but some of it from people literally within their own neighborhood. People who were their peers who were telling them the same thing. So I think everybody understands the sense that how others perceive you can definitely affect your self-image, right? Can definitely shape your sense of self and who you think you are. Yet another way to learn about yourself, which is really quite interesting, is that you learn about yourself the way you learn about other people. There's a whole theory devoted to this. I think it's called a self-perception theory. But basically, what this theory says is that you make inferences about other people, right? You see how other people behave, and you infer, or you try to figure out, right, um, what they're like and this is also tied to like how internal behavior affects external behavior and how you believe those things are tied together So for example, if someone you know grabs food, you think they're hungry if someone cries you think they're sad Okay, and if you see someone behaving toward you consistently in a certain way, then you think oh well They're always offering me things. They're always uh, helping out. They're always giving me things I think they're pretty generous. So you infer what someone is like Based on what you see, based on their actions, you know, based on how you perceive what's going on. Okay, so interestingly enough, a self-perception theory says you do the same thing for yourself. You see what you do. So you know, um, you have a particular hobby you like. You do it all the time, and then you know, again, you infer. Oh, I guess I like this hobby. I guess I like doing these sorts of things. Or you often are giving your time to your friends. You're always going and helping out. You're going the extra mile all the time. And so you kind of for, I guess I'm the sort of person that doesn't mind helping other people out. You know, if this sounds familiar, that's even better because this is very consistent with a lot of things we've talked about, like cognitive dissonance, like how about behavior shapes attitudes, you know. So it's this belief that you judge who you are based on what you see yourself do. But it's interesting because the manner in which you do it is very similar to how you figure out and judge other people. You know, before we tie this up though, I definitely want to talk about one more thing. I know we've talked about attitudes, but I want to bring it back one more time uh, and give a couple of good examples here. Attitudes, of course, are tied to who we are. Uh, they also affect what we do, but we know it goes both ways. Sometimes attitudes dictate behavior, sometimes it's the other way around. And a couple of things about this you know, seem kind of obvious. Like there's research that indicates if you have a stronger attitude, it's more likely to you know, affect your behavior. And you're kind of like, duh, I get that. But there are more surprising things or things that might be less obvious, like some studies have shown that the more specific the behavior, or sorry, the more specific the attitude is, the more likely you are to actually act on it. So for example, if you had a general attitude such as, uh, I love supporting the environment, that's great, and you may definitely act on it, but uh, if we ask you to volunteer or do something, you might not be that inclined, okay? Or at least these studies showed people seem not that invested. But if you had a more specific attitude like oh uh, I love the environment and I specifically like the supporter tree club you know I'm really into that and now what's happening is that for Earth Day they're planting a bunch of trees and they're asking you to volunteer apparently the research says that the more specific the attitude is the more likely you are to actually go and act on it and then the final factor which um, a person named LePier brought to light so I know this podcast is for everyone of course I know some of my MCAT students are definitely listening uh, so if you are listening So if you're trying to figure out, okay, he's bringing up some people, do I need to know them, do I not? Uh, It would be good to know Cooley. You know, I wouldn't worry about the other names I mentioned Okay, in this particular episode, but Cooley, we should definitely know. You have a guy named Lapeer, and he's doing research, and he's looking at yet another factor that affects whether you act on attitudes or not, Uh, and he plays up the importance of situational factors. So what it was was, I think it was around like 1934 or something, Uh, he did this study. So there was some anti-Asian sentiment back in the 1930s, but he wanted to know, if there's this kind of negative attitude, you know how strong is it and is it actually going to affect Asian Americans? And so what he did was he picked a couple and he went around with them through multiple cities and he basically you know wanted them to see if they can get a hotel room and if they can go to a restaurant and have a nice meal. And pretty much everywhere they went, things were good. No problems with the hotel. They were being treated nicely. Um, no problems with restaurants. In fact, in all the places they visited, I think only one hotel had an issue. So after that, he sent them questionnaires saying, "Would you serve, you know, Asian customers?" And there was an overwhelming response at the time of like, "No," or i have an issue," etc., etc. But this seemed very inconsistent because even though the attitude was kind of negative, when in actuality, when the couple went there, they were perfectly friendly. They served them. The behavior is completely different when they went there. People gave them service. People were friendly, and you know, there are a lot of reasons why that this could be the case, but. Lapierre sat there and thought, hmm, I think it's really the situational factors, because even though they had this negative stereotype of Asian customers, the couple that he chose specifically, they were a younger college couple, they were very attractive, they were very well dressed, they were very well put together, very polite, so they had this negative stereotype. And when the couple defied that stereotype, it sort of, you know, it killed that whole connection between attitude and behavior, because this couple didn't fit the mold, right? So just to summarize really quickly, uh, the takeaway from this, we're talking about your self-image, your self-concept, right? Um, so how is it formed? One is through introspection, the other is largely through how other people respond to you, right? Uh, the looking-glass effect. And yet another way is how you see from your own actions, right? What you're like. Attitudes, of course, are a big part of you know, how you perceive yourself and what you think of yourself and how you feel. Uh, and attitudes as we've seen already, they can help dictate behavior, but of course behavior can sometimes dictate the attitude. Now that we have that down, we're gonna talk about other factors like uh, uh, self-esteem, self-efficacy, and then we'll lead into things about how to protect your self-image, right? Uh, I think I'll title that episode something like self-defense. But just to tie this episode off, I think we should talk briefly about these terms so we're clear on this when we talk about them in the future. Um, Self-image, and I'll introduce that interchangeably as self-concept, that's how you view yourself. Uh, as opposed to self-esteem which is how much you value yourself so self-esteem self-worth all those terms they refer to how much you value yourself as an individual okay not to be confused with self-efficacy so self-efficacy is basically how capable you believe you are having a strong sense of self-efficacy means you believe you have the power and the capacity to get things done you know sometimes what what happens is people tend to conflate or you know stick together self-esteem with self-efficacy, but those don't have to go hand in hand. Uh, a classic example is one model they have of a perfectionist, where you have this perfectionist who is um, you know, trying to be perfect. So obviously there's a strong sense of self-efficacy because they're trying to be perfect, so they believe they're capable of doing that, right? But then at the same time, when they get that 99 out of 100, instead of going, look how capable I am, they're like, oh my God, how can I be that silly? Like seriously, what is wrong with me? So that, I mean, that doesn't sound like it's good for self-esteem. Like in this model of a perfectionist that some social psychologists have, you know, the thinking is possibly lower self-esteem, but definitely a high sense of self-efficacy. Okay. Anyway, so I hope this episode helped and uh, I'll see you guys soon.